coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada, streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Float, Odyssey, Telegram, Twitch, and the Prepper Broadcast Network. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim, and today is October 11th, 2022, and this is episode 183 of the Workshop Podcast. So today, guys, real quick, we have for you part two of my really, really fun interview I did with Ryan Buford from the Next Generation Podcast. There was a real purposeful break in the middle of the episode where we switched from one topic to another. We ended up going over two hours, so I thought for you guys, I would split it up. So today we're going to talk about currencies of the apocalypse, but real quick before we dive into the show... Three quick announcements. Patch of the Month Club. If you are looking for cool patches, politically incorrect patches, patches that might make you chuckle just a little bit, patches you can stick on your wallet, on your man purse, as my wife likes to call it, then go to patchofthemonth.co. That is my membership support kind of thing. If, if you are looking for value for value exchange, you get some value for me and you'd love to return that value, 10 bucks a month. $100 a year, you get a cool patch, sometimes some stickers as well sent to you. Also, you get put on an exclusive mailing list that gives you first access to any new merch I put out with a discount. Plus, there's going to be more cool stuff coming after that. Number two, if you want to become part of the workshop community, come by and join the Telegram group. Even if you're like, oh, I don't need another social media platform. I get it. But Telegram is where we're all at, and it is just an awesome place to interact. Even if you just join the group and check in once once a week or every whatever it happens to be, it's still a nice and small group where the information doesn't get lost in all the different, you know, some of the big groups, if you check them and you haven't been there for a day, there's a thousand missed messages. Not going to happen here. But what is going to happen is if you need help or you need advice or you just have a scenario you want to kick around and need some people who will give you legitimate positive and negative criticism, come by, share it, become part of the workshop community. And finally, you guys saw my interview with Five Times August. He, uh, His music is just incredible. He's a political activist, just loves to speak out through his music. So if you're looking to support a musician, he is definitely freedom-minded. So his music has been put on his website for pre-release. Physical copies. I know you're like, who has a CD player? Well, CD or vinyl. I'm a vinyl head. I've already pre-ordered it. So if you're looking for a way to support him, he's got his t-shirts over there or pre-order the vinyl. I love it. It was was $35 American. I was a little extra for shipping to Canada, but if you're in the U.S., $35, you can't get much of a record for that price anymore. And it's being done as a Kickstarter, so he has to pre-order. There has to be pre-order of 200 of them. When I ordered yesterday, there was 33 days to go, and he was a third the way there already. So from there, guys, that's all I got for you today. Let's dive into part number two. This will be called Currencies of the Apocalypse with Ryan Buford from the Next Generation Podcast, who, by the way, guys, has set the record. He's been on the show three times now, and he'll be back again. So we came on. We're going to we're going to switch gears a little bit, um, which is cool because we we thought, hey, you know, maybe we don't have quite enough to do a USB update show, although I bet we could have went longer. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah, I can keep we'll, going, man. I'll have you back for a part three. We'll just keep doing, you know, when when, when you find new gear, we'll talk. But, All right. But one night I was laying in bed 
not even sure. I'm all, that's sometimes when I get my best ideas or my worst, heaven help me. But uh, <laughs> uh, I thought, hey, Ryan and I like talking about apocalyptic things. So let's talk oh, yeah. about post-apocalyptic currency. I like it. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna so a little closer. There we go. For me, I think uh, power is a big one. And, you know, I the the thing that I was mentioning earlier, um, the tonneau cover made of a solar panel, basically. Yeah. The ability to to roll up somewhere and provide power is valuable. And if you have people who have devices, batteries, whatever, that can be charged and you have the ability to charge it, there's an exchange there. Yeah, sure. I'll charge your stuff. I'll give you some time. Just like um, on that movie, The Bee Light, you know, he traded, you know, a couple of uh, towelettes and I think, I don't know, some other thing, oil or something like that for enough of a charge to get a battery going so that he could power his cell phone or whatever. And I think power is something that is actually, it's personal power. Your personal ability to generate and provide power is a solid form of currency now you have you say you have a stream running through your property or you know where one is if you have batteries and you can charge them up then and you're willing to pack those batteries from wherever you're charging them from then uh you know there's there's currency there literally in the, in the literal sense you know there's current moving oh <laughs> geez that's a dad joke that's that is a dad fun. joke that was a prepper dad joke there guys yeah. i appreciate it you beat me to it so that's okay but i one of my favorite post-apocalyptic TV shows is Jeremiah. It had, uh, and not everybody knows it, it was a Showtime show. It has not aged very well. But it took place, I want to say, so everybody in the world died who was over the age of 13. And the show took place about a decade to, to 15 years after the big death. So, you know, the, the youngest ones. And it was really, really good. And two currencies, number one was batteries. So there was a couple of people who had managed to kind of scab together a mini alternator generator. Cause mm -hmm. it, you know, I mean this, we're talking 10, 15 years past, right? So things yeah. were, but there was people who'd figured out ways to recharge alkaline batteries, rechargeable batteries. And that they were very, very in demand. They, they mm -hmm. could ask for what they wanted. And another one was canned goods. Now this again was 10 yep. years down. So basically all they had was, unlabeled dented cans that they had found in the back of a grocery store. So what, what's your thoughts on, I mean, obviously food would be a currency, but consumables, because, you know, the one we all think about is silver and gold. Mm -hmm. And I want to chat about that a little bit after, because I don't think that would be much of a currency during the collapse or even the first year, yeah. maybe down the road. But the thing about, I made, what did I bring it up here? But basically it needs to be a finite resource um, it needs to be desirable mm -hmm. and, um, does, and, or like you said, a skill to make. So for you making electricity or storable electricity was a skill. Mm -hmm. Um, but the consumable thing means, okay, nobody's going to have any new canned food other than maybe mason jars. So it gives it kind of a second worth because it's worth in trade, but it's also something you have to decide. Am I going to eat it or am I going to trade it to the next right. guy? Before it goes bad. Right. Because, or you after, know, depending yeah, on. or after. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Very good. So 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of a, not a history buff, but I do like some aspects of American history. And one of the things, especially the region that I live in uh, that struck me is this, these two guys, Lewis and Clark. Um, now they came from Pennsylvania and basically, and I'm going to butcher this story, but I'm giving you the ultra quick show notes. Uh, basically they came from the, the Mississippi and they mapped out the rest of the United States going all the way to the West, to the, to the West coast. And they had to get by with the skills that they had. They had to hollow out their own logs to make canoes, to take waterways. They had to, um, you know, keep their horses alive, do all that kind of stuff. But, um, one of the things that I found really interesting was their ability to barter and do it in a way where they were like, okay, we know that we have good steel, that we have firearms, that we have the ability to, to bring these to the table. What do you have? And they would lay out mats and basically do this. And here in the Pacific Northwest shells, seashells were used as currency. And the farther away from the ocean you got, the greater the currency was because the Native Americans would use those seashells as decorations on wedding dresses. Huh. Because they were so rare. It was, it's, it's, but you go walk around along the, the shoreline and you can find them all over the place, you know, but if you get just the right kind or just the right style, they would take opal, like, uh, mm-hmm. like a clam shell. Yeah. And then crush it and then sand it down or, uh, abraded or uh, somehow on a rock or whatever, and they would make small figurines or uh, small shapes like uh, trapezoids or or te- teardrop type shapes or whatever, and then drill a hole in it, and then they would turn those into necklaces, or they would use them in between the breastplates. Right. So they'd have uh, bone that they would use, and bone is something that they would trade as well because that was valuable because you had to do work to get the bones out, but once you did. Those bones provided a, a breastplate, which was a form of um, what do you call it? Self-defense, I guess. Or protection. Or, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I I didn't really think about the proximity thing, but the worth of the shell is exponentially related to the distance from the shore you are. Because yep. where I grew up, sea glass was everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, if I wanted to go to a farmer's market here and sell sea glass, I'm sure I could get a huge premium on it simply because it's just not a thing. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I've been kind of working to ramp up this Washington freeze-dried apple thing because I can get them all day long here in right. Washington State. But are you going to be able to get them in Florida? Nope. For for I mean for a reasonable price or a reasonable like what by the time it gets from Washington State being picked to Florida, it's gone through certain stages and however many hands. So if there's a way to to make that exchange have something of value, if I sent if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, I want I want to see what you got," and I'm just flush with these apples, and they're like, holy cow, uh, you know, we could we could definitely take some of these. And that's basically how you build trade and, and make it work. So you start developing these things, these relationships. And if you take something that is bountiful in your environment, whatever that thing is, uh, and try and source ways to exchange across county lines or, yeah. You know, it's okay. Go uh, 
then then it kind of it adds value. It it, it makes something tangible. And I think on the the dollars, um, the U.S. dollars, there was a saying. Uh, this this is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Um, and basically meaning that hey, look, you know, no matter what, this is a form of exchange that everybody agrees to. Right. Or it's your debt to me, my debt to you, my debt to the county or the state or whatever it might be. It'll work no matter what. Uh, I'm not going to be able to go and push apples to the county guy and say, hey, look, I can't pay my taxes. Here's some apples. That's not doesn't work that way. But it might at some point. I mean, taxes probably won't be a thing, but I just want to bring this. I love this term and I wouldn't have thought of it, but uh, LSD, <laughs> limited supply design, said geographic arbitrage. And that's exactly it. And I wanted to go back quick here. Nate Lamaster, our ham radio dude, says skills would be the most important. Barter your skills for things you can't do. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you have it up here, but you don't have it here. Your shoulders are out. Your knees are bad. Your back shot. Yes. If you know how to do it, you can tell someone else how to do it and and be able to, to pair up sometimes and be able to still add value to a unit or a group or whatever it might be. I had books written down as well. It's okay. No worries. I had books written down because, um, again, knowledge. And I, I remember somebody saying, and I can't remember what book it was in or what story, but they oh, it might have just been in the Going Home series. And he talked about, he's like, how every book that's ever been written is going to be written. When's the next time a new book is going to be published, right? So in a, in a grid down or just a bad scenario, knowledge would be great. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, Harlequin romances will probably be kicking around everywhere. Oh, yeah. But how many books on, yeah, because <laughs> they're every, they're literally everywhere. But how many books on canning or first aid or, you know, and you're not going to be able to copy them unless you're, uh, you know, the book of Eli. And that's a whole nother story. <laughs> well, and, you know, I keep a, a winemaking book in right. my here and it's just a little pamphlet. But my God, that thing has everything in it on how to make, I, I mean, I just, I made some amazing blackberry rhubarb wine and I wanted to bring some to prepper camp, but I couldn't just cause I couldn't get it on the plane without checking and I knew they'd destroy it. So anyways, I, uh, I can do crab apple or blueberry or, or whatever, but without that recipe, like there's, it's just not up here. So having a, a book, uh, a good quality recipe book or, you know, certain things like that, it, it, it really makes, makes it, helpful to have something i think my my neighbors must have some night vision goggles because they're popping off <laughs> down the way <laughs> so really? i think oh yeah, well. doing stuff but cheers to that okay yeah. <laughs> so um yeah as far as skills go i don't know if you've ever read um ever read a world made by hand with james james so it's an man, it sounds it, awesome Oh, it's so good. It's a four-part series. My buddy, uh, Carrie, recommended it to me. It's James Newton, maybe? I can't remember his last name. But he anyway, it's awesome. It takes place in a – his idea was post-peak oil. So basically everything went back to kind of 1800s in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And the main character had carpentry skills. So he would go around and he would salvage – because we talked about post-apocalyptic salvage last time you were here, but he would go around and he would salvage wood and building materials from wherever he could. And then he would take on contracts for people, basically 
you know, I'll come and I will build this for you. He built a hotel for somebody. He redid an office for somebody. And he would trade for whatever he needed at the time, whether it was food. Sometimes it was silver because then he could take that silver. But the economy had built at that point. Yeah, I think, you know, early stages is I think where most people are going to struggle because uh, having piles of gold and silver, what are you going to do with it? I mean, unless you can foil it or, 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 you know, make colloidal silver. Yeah, you can do that. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, you can do an exchange. But you know, silver is going to be worth different things to different people. I mean, go down to New Mexico, you can get silver all over the place. Um, and, and they'll just sell it right on the side of the road. But, and up here, you know, there's mines, so I can go to the mint and, and get coins, but what am I really doing with that silver? Am I exchanging or is that, is a ring worth a certain weight capable of, you know, buying a loaf of bread? It's, I mean, that's kind of where it's like, what's the equal exchange when it comes to silver? That's where I have, I struggle with that. I mean, I'm, a, I, so I, I did an episode that uh, like a, a shorter one while I was gone that was uh, replayed on silver and gold. And I, I do, you know, I, I, I do buy silver, so I don't, I don't begrudge it. I enjoy it. Yeah, I have but silver. It also, I think it's a long-term thing. And of course, most of this is based on, you know, reading and fiction and that kind of stuff. But in the Going Home series... The first two or three books, when they go to the market, you know, people laugh at him. Silver, what the hell do I need silver for? I can't eat silver, right? And then beyond that, as time goes on, though, silver becomes a commodity because, you know, the people who were failing passed away or aren't around anymore. So now they've moved into a point where they can exchange a little bit more, right? Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was cool. I enjoyed it. And that's that's just it. I mean, until you have a, a larger, a broader scale of what what's acceptable. Um, My dogs are going crazy. Yeah, upstairs. they're probably here. Yeah, that's uh, okay. Like, <laughs> We're having fun tonight. <laughs> when, like, until it's a broader, acceptable level, you know, those that that gold and silver isn't going to be as valuable as like you I've seen here in, in chat a couple times. It's those skills yes. or that, that ability to do something. One thing that I put on my list. Um, was um, I'm just going to shout out to Ghost Queen right now. That's a name I haven't seen in here before, so thank you for coming. I've, so I've seen two or three people tonight that uh, aren't here all the time, so it's great. Yeah, we've had I think we hit 21 live uh, live viewers just a minute ago, so we're doing wow. good. Yeah, Very cool. Uh, one thing I put were good metal files. Um, oh, and I, I mean, I, it might not seem like it's that important, but if you know how to sharpen a chainsaw or if you know how to to sharpen a saw or if you know how to carve a bump key uh uh you know or you know there or if you got a uh a piece of spring steel and you just pulled it off of a you know a, an axle or something like that you know just a piece or even hell a, a lawnmower blade oh yeah if you can put a decent edge on a lawnmower blade uh, and file it down to where you can actually handle it, you know, with, with the other hand, um, something like that. And, and just having the ability to do that is it allows you to, to kind of do a very basic level of not blacksmithing, but something like that. 
So Chicken Hawk, good buddy of mine, just seen him at South Reliance Festival. This is right up your alley, Ryan. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Free, Freeze-dried food, money of the apocalypse. What do you think? Absolutely, especially if you have individual ingredients. I And if, if you do it yourself, I think it's a big one for me because um, freeze-dried food, and I noticed this at Prepper Camp, there were folks selling freeze-dried food um, like – I don't even know if I can get it in the picture, but it's like uh, a bag the size of a basketball of beef stroganoff. And it's like, well, wait a second. Uh, you open that bag to make a serving for your family of you, know, you and your wife and two kids, 2.5 kids or whatever. <laughs> uh, and maybe the neighbors come over, but you're not going to go through that whole thing. So you have to be able to have the means to preserve it after that. Or, you know, you, you're going to go to, it's going to go to waste. And that's, that's one meal that took up a bunch of space. So if you have ingredients, raw stuff that's freeze dried, then you can at least have flavor and, and mix things in a little bit different, like spices and powders. And uh, I'm actually thinking about doing lavender so that I, because I got a lavender plant that's ready to go. And I want to take that to try and freeze dry it to reduce it to powder and see if I can use it in other stuff like, soaps or anything like that um instead of other way or infusing oils or things like that i'm just going to shout out to jake from ravenwood acres too nice to see him in here he's finally back stateside after being in korea for quite some time so oh, wow. yeah he's a good feller awesome. he's coming on the show in a couple of more weeks i do believe but so that was something i learned from you and uh, at prepper camp and i don't know if it was during your presentation or if it was just in one of our conversations but i always knew how fast freeze-dried stuff would start to reconstitute but i never thought about those big mountain house buckets as soon as you open them or whatever it happened to be all of a sudden moisture and air becomes your enemy oh yeah and hard and fast too i mean if you don't have an army to feed then those big buckets are, are unless it's packaged properly you're you're gonna have to watch out it was mentioned in chat um putting freeze-dried foods in smaller jars that's exactly what i do i put them in mason jars because they're airtight they're watertight and just even just hand pressure on the top i don't have to vacuum seal them or everything i've got stuff that's five years old that's still as good as the day i made it and no issues uh bags is where your problems can go or bulk is where problems can be so mason jars are actually a form of currency i think oh uh, yes they're even at some point probably even just empty jars in general but yeah oh, i yeah. never even put mason jars down that's perfect I mean, you could do a lot with just a couple of mason jars, um, two or three of them. And, and I like old mason jars, um, especially the ones because sometimes I'll go around at antique stores and I'll find some of the older ones to see how they were designed. And I actually have a half dozen flip top style mason jars that are the yeah. old ones. They do make newer ones, but they're, you know, they're like quart sized jars with a neck on them. And that's what I put my sourdough in. And I've got one for flour and one for sourdough. And that's, you know, that's how I get through every other morning, you know. Aaron says to stock up on Mylar bags and a vacuum sealer. Not a bad idea either. Yeah. And, and oh, here, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, along with that, if you have power, a good tool to have is uh, uh, a flat iron, like a hair flat yeah. iron. Because what you, the, a lot of times the Mylar bags you get, uh, if they're the big ones, like the five-gallon ones, you can reduce those down to one-gallon bags. And that's what I'll usually do. Like if I get a 25-pound bag of rice or something, I'll take a five-gallon bag and cut it into fifths. And then I'll have 
you know, I'll distribute it evenly on two or three pounds per bag. That way, when I open the bag uh, with my oxygen absorbers in it or whatever, then I can, you know, I can go with that. But also, I can be able to determine which bags have failed. Mm. So if if a bag had failed, it might not ruin the entire batch. You know. Anyway, that's what that's what you come for, people. Tips like that, <laughs> cutting up a five gallon bucket into five one gallon bucket or uh, bags. That's, that's awesome. And what else we got here? Uh, oh, LG says the only freeze dried food I have are individual ingredients. Yep. Pre-made things often have way too much salt. Mm -hmm. You can always add salt if you, you, if you need it. I personally, if you have a good ingredients then you don't need a whole lot of salt. What, what I have found is that, and just in, in looking into freeze drying and stuff, the bulk ones, they, put as much as they can as cheap as possible into those industrial size machines and you get what comes out the problem with that is that you get all the preservatives and all the garbage and all the sugars and everything else and all those chemicals uh are basically uh they're hidden by salt right sugar and when you freeze dry it that all comes back out and it just tastes like garbage and it's not good for you either there's not enough nutrition your body will crave more and more rather than being able to sustain off of natural sugars, natural salts or whatever, or, you know, adding salt down the road. Yeah. Aaron said, and I saw uh, survivor Jane talked about this a little bit at prepper camp. I think I'd never heard of it before, but a brake sealer or something like that is supposed to work for vacuum sealing jars with no power. Have you heard anything? And I think you're right, Aaron, it's something along those lines. Yeah. I think that would work. Uh, just a brake a brake pump i think is which is basically yeah that's all you do you just it's a squeeze bulb and then it pumps the air out of it so it would uh, work another name i haven't seen recently bfkc said i've been stealing the wife's flat iron for five gallon mylar bags for bulk storage dry goods yep. just tried the hand warmers for o2 absorber on my last batch of pasta worked well yes. now i gotta say and i'm sure you're the same way as me ryan but one of my huge tips is buy shit like the o2 absorbers at the end of the season, when they go on clearance, buy them in bulk. I always do. And that you save yourself a ton of money that way. Yeah. Got a question for you too here. Um, what's your favorite thing to freeze dry besides apples by, from a garden girl? Well, um, I mean, I kind of like to do all kinds of different stuff, but I, um, I think one of the things that tends to get neglected are um, legumes like uh, chickpeas, oh. uh, What's another term for them? Garbanzo beans, yeah. basically. Look up garbanzo beans and how much protein and nutrients are actually in those. It's a long process, but if you soak them and boil them, get them nice and soft, and then you freeze dry them, they're crisp. And if you add a little bit of salt or a little bit of soy sauce or whatever, you can you can use those and you can um, like you can introduce them into soups or whatever. And most people are are able to eat those. Uh, especially instead of other things, but you could also use it to make hummus, um, and, and dips and sauces and things like that. I mean, when these guys go across the Sahara, they're taking chickpeas on camelback and oh. going, going miles and miles. And, and it's, you wouldn't think of it, but you know, chickpeas, like a, a jar of chickpeas like this would probably produce about a gallon of food. So right. I mean, you you have a very small space, and if you 
process them and then freeze dry them you can process them while the processing is good so to speak right to where you're not not scrambling to try and boil something or let it soak overnight and then you know want to eat it right away the thing about freeze drying is it allows you that immediacy to where you can eat it and go or or the lightweight side and it reduces the weight down to below what it was they retain the volume so you can have an appropriate portion Hmm. you're also um you're you're taking a lot of the work out of it so that you can eat faster i guess so to speak so because i've got jars and jars of stuff in my pantry but to be honest it takes time and i can't just go down there and grab something i can't i mean i got snack food but i can't just go down there and grab some garbanzo beans and eat them but if i could there's value in that so that's that's something that i i do like to to do and you could just add a little bit of water and you would basically have cold beans at that point right it wouldn't take any oh, yeah. time at all no it's just reconstitute. And you could do that with, say, navy beans, for instance. Those are my go-tos. And the thing about that is you take those cold beans and go around and look up for some dandelions or some just some edible weeds around the area, throw them in there, and then you've got uh, you know protein and uh, yeah. fiber and all that kind of other stuff. I mean, you, as long as it's something that you're safe to eat, then you're – hell, you could even go and grab some pine nuts and throw them in there too. So you can you can make a, basically a chickpea salad – with a very small package of um, garbanzo beans, or you could throw a bunch of it in a stew or a stew pot right at the end or make a faster stew. Uh, let's say you were able to snare something or whatever, you can throw some of that in and at least add a little bit more than you know just, just a couple of bites. Because I don't know, uh, when I go fishing sometimes, I'm not a very good fisherman. I like to fish, but I don't catch. <laughs> I'll put it that way. But what I do, it's nice uh, until I get to the fillets and that, that decent sized fish turns out to be about three bites. Yeah. And you put all that work and effort into it and it's great, but you better have something else to, to help fill that, that in your belly, basically. That's what Jordan was talking about at um, uh, Prepper Camp, about cutting the proteins into smaller pieces so that it Every, you always got a bite of a protein, you know, even so just stretching it out and, and putting some filler and stuff in there, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, what about, oh, did, was there another questionnaire you wanted to? Uh, sure. I'm just, just reading through here. It's awesome. Thanks for all the, the, uh, the participation in chat. This is killer. Yeah, um, what about salt? So I thought of, salt mm -hmm. was a big one um, in two different stories. Jericho was one of my other favorite TV shows. They had a salt mine in their town, so they were able to keep it. But um, what is the other one I just read not long ago? Uh, Alas, Babylon. And uh, in there, they they were, I think they're in Florida, but they weren't near the coast. So mm -hmm. they struggled for salt, like to the yeah. point where they were almost, so they had to go inland. They found some in a salt marsh. But you no, know, if you live near the ocean, you'd have unlimited salt. You live inland, that could be a whole nother story. That's currency. I mean, and, was it and the sugar is another yeah. one. I mean, oh yeah. If, you know, if like the amount of sugars that people consume now, it's it's unbelievable. I I just drank this can of whatever this is, Seven Up, and it's about twenty four grams of sugar. Just this little thing. Isn't that crazy? So I mean, it's and I don't know what the the weight was before, but it's probably somewhere between a third and a half of just sugar. And I hate drinking this stuff, but um, I just Once needed something for the show so that I, I'm 
going but anyways uh when people get off sugar uh that's challenging that's very challenging and if you cut people off sugar you're gonna have some problems so um you know it's nice to be able to have natural sugars and and kind of build that tolerance up now because then that way you like you won't even want that other stuff right but and, and you don't need as much either so like when you actually go to eat sugar or something sweet you don't need to eat a whole bag of m&ms or whatever you can just right. skip with one little square of hershey bar for a day or a, a week or whatever however long you got i'm going to shout out to my uh, scottish brother jaggy just so you know, brother, you got a, another pen pal letter coming across the ocean. So him and I are snail mail pen pals. So we, awesome. Yeah. He, and this is, it's like three or four in the morning in Scotland right now, but he pops in sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, so, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say one thing. Um, there's a note in chat about um, wars being fought over salt and how yep. eggs stack them up. You can always bust them apart. So one thing that i prefer over regular iodized salt is himalayan salt the pink himalayan mm -hmm. salt and you can buy it in blocks that you use to grill salmon on right really or your bar barbecue section or whatever of the store and sometimes you can get like you can get a two inch thick block that's about maybe six inches by nine inches ten inches maybe and um just having that block around can can be enough to where you can just shave a little bit and put it in a shaker or a, um, like a grinder. Basically, that's what I that's what I use. Um, but it's because it's condensed like that. Uh, you don't. I mean, the blocks are pretty heavy, um, but because it's condensed, you don't have to worry about space as much, and you don't. You're not going to have any kind of uh, rodent activity or anything like that. It's nice to have granulated salt as well, especially if you're curing things like meats or mm. doing kind of salt preservation. Um, but with that pink Himalayan salt, it's very, I don't know, it's saltier. I don't know. I, I don't is. need it, it. It has a flavor. It, it yeah. does. I, I use it too a lot. We, we buy ours at Costco. You can buy like a fairly big, I don't know, like this, and it, it refills our grinder. But um, a place I found really good luck, if you're looking for just, dirt cheap salt to put away 50 pound bags at farm supply stores yep. and om almost always if you look at them they're just regular old sifto salt table salt like yep. nine bucks for a 50 pound bag you can't you can't beat that try buying that at the dollar store you know that's and that's awesome that you can do that and uh the type of salt people there's a difference between types of salt too so people should be aware that there's right iodized salt non-iodized salt pink salt um there's actually like blended salt so and this is kind of where you know back to freeze drying if you have freeze-dried garlic yes then you can make garlic salt if you have freeze-dried celery you can make celery salt and you know i love garlic salt i love celery salt i like uh salts that are that kind of add something to it and if you have something where you can add some of those flavors that is something that you can produce that's something that product that you can you can push out a little bit you're like oh you know i don't have you know a, an ounce of silver but i've got fresh garlic salt and i see that you guys have a whole slab of ribs over there so if you hook me up with a meal i'll give you this and you know value added right 
Uh, Jaggy, I don't know if you do this, Ryan, or not, but I certainly do. He says, every time I'm in a cafe, I always take away a few small packs of salt, pepper, sugar, sweetener, always handy to go into a bug-out bag. Oh, yeah. In fact, I every time, especially if I'm in a hotel room, uh, they have honey packets. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, so I'll chat. I'll chase down the honey packets, and sometimes I'll have peanut butter. Um, the jams and jellies are a little tougher, but they're. I mean, it's it's better than nothing sometimes. Um, and soy sauce. So if you get some oh, Chinese, yeah. order in. Go ahead and use them, or have some most your own soy sauce, and just throw the other ones, throw the other packets in the fridge along with your other stuff. I I've got a, a little tray in my fridge just for that stuff. And those kind of can can take the edge off of the salt craving if you have one. Oh, yeah. We, I've got, so we, you know, we go to hotels a lot. And so, you know, we'll bring whatever there there is on the shelf. If it's like little packs of coffee or, you know, um, what are some of the other ones? Uh, not creamers. But we, anyway, we've got a ton of different things. We've got five or six of the large freezer size um, Ziploc bags that are completely full of salts and sauces and all of that and they're good to have and then we also this one here plastic silverware as well because uh in canada at least as of the end of 2023 it's illegal so we're gonna hang on to it <laughs> yeah i mean when i saw a plastic or a paper straw in a plastic bag down here i was like what are you what is this what is the point what are we doing to ourselves i was very happy the entire time i traveled down in the states I was never given a paper straw, but they are literally everywhere. I went to A&W the other day and they give me a wooden fork, a wooden fork. It was, um, I don't know. It, it's better than a paper straw. So I will say I, I do keep uh, stainless steel chopsticks. Mm. on hand. Uh, actually one, I use one for stirring up my uh, starter, my sourdough starter, but, uh, and then I just rinse it off, but then I'll, I'll keep them on hand. Like in my, lunchbox or take them to work with me because i can usually eat with them you know uh most people can fashion chopsticks but if you fashion it out of something that's poison you're you got problems um uh, but yeah i i mean and it's you can get really nice ones like light lightweight um high tensile strength that you could use them as a, a weapon or whatever too if you want to yeah, and my kids love chopsticks. It's fun oh. for them, you know. But uh, BF says, uh, drifting away from food, uh, fasteners, nails, screws, bolts, etc. All big time, especially as time goes on. Yeah. One thing I had on mine was primers and blasting caps. Um, I had because, ammo in general, but yes. Yeah, I think ammo is one thing because they're, they're something that they're just so heavy. You know, bullets are heavy. I'm sorry. But primers... Blasting caps, not so much. You know, if you have, like, I, I was able to rally four bricks of lead, and um, each one is about 25 pounds. Once you alloy them, uh, you get about 44 ingots. Those then can be used to make bullets. So I'll I'll have, and I'm, I'm working on that now. I've got someone working on it for me, my, uh, my, my bullet maker, basically. But it doesn't matter how much lead you have. It doesn't how much matter how much brass you're able to pick up. If you don't have primers and you don't have powder, you're done. You can make powder. You can rally brass. Sometimes you can get uh, lead if you need to steal it out of windows, like old-style windows. You can get them yes. out of those. Uh, wheel wheel weights. weights. 
that kind of stuff. That's not as much. You have to be an older vehicle, older yeah. tire. But yeah, um, but lead lead is obtainable. Uh, powder and primers, I think, are probably the 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 hardest pieces that that are easy dentist. to. Pack. I found this out the other day too. Now, dentist office. Now, first off, the the lead vests, which everybody thinks of, but yeah. if you have any room that has an X-ray machine in it, there tends to be sheets of lead either on the drywall or under the drywall. So keep that, do with you, do, do with that as you will, just in yeah. case. So you can get like an eight foot tall or 10 foot tall sheet around an entire perimeter of a room. If it's an x-ray room, dental office or whatever, get that sheet rock off of there and there'll be sometimes two layers or one on each side of the, the wall or whatever. It's just thought of another one too. If you have a lot of abandoned houses in your area, Climb up on the roof, and the flashing around old brick chimneys is almost always lead. Yep, that, and they yeah. still do that in uh, like roofers will still use lead sleeves basically for downspouts. So basically, yes. they'll they'll on a flat roof. Um, if you look, there'll be like basically the fart fan tube that comes up. It's a bathroom mm -hmm. vent. Um, don't if put you your look, nose over it. Yeah, don't put your nose over it. Just go and grab it there probably about you know eight to ten inches tall um but it's just basically surrounded with lead and it's pure lead so you can you know if if you're in a situation where it's like uh there's nobody else around and this building's already you know halfway gone uh don't don't leave that stuff behind and you know how to test lead right no hit it with a hammer if it hit it with a hammer yeah. or hit it with something sharp and what it'll do is it'll it'll deform yes. and it'll shiny so if it looks mm. dull which lead will usually look dull on the outside hit it with a hammer or something sharp and uh it'll scrape basically because it's so soft and right lead pipes are another one if you hit it with a hammer you'll you'll dent the pipe before it breaks and you know that's kind of one way to be able to that another thing too is if you have a magnet Right, it's got steel pipe or lead pipe. I um, oh, about five years ago, I picked up about I want to say five or six two and a half gallon buckets of wheel weights from a local garage, brought them home and processed them on my barbecue. So, if anybody wants to know, you can melt lead. Oh, it was, yeah, I'm sure it was not safe at all. So, I took the, the wheel, I had a big, you know, five gallon stock pot, put them in there. And just heated them up. Sorry, wasn't my barbecue. Um, turkey boiler, you know. The okay. Turkey. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Don't mind me. So put it on there, and I had a, a a sieve that I would, you know, anything that would float to the top. I'm sure it was not healthy, but anyway. So I now have a two and a half gallon bucket of muffin shaped uh, lead ignit ignits nice. or whatever. Yeah. So I haven't done anything with them yet, but they're just sitting in my shed in case I need yeah. them. I bet I it's go. over 100 pounds of lead. Oh yeah. And that's the thing is you you if you take a block of lead or a you know a bunch of lead and you compartmentalize it you make it smaller that's something that you could throw in your park pocket or mm. you could barter that particular thing well I'll give you two or three of these you know I've only got five left so I'm gonna give you three but better be know, worth it that's about it and you better be worth it right you know add some value to that just don't go back and try that same story next week yeah <laughs> um oh yeah go ahead yep. I was just gonna say, uh, you mentioned um, smokes. Yeah, I had that on my list too. So yeah, let's just want to make sure we didn't miss anything here. 
Uh, church roofs, I was going to, Jaggy says, um, made of lead. Pipin says dealership repair shops have plenty of lead wheels. Usually they just keep them in buckets out back waiting for somebody to come and offer them some money for it, uh, which I know for sure. Uh, X-ray film also is in lead containers. Did not know that. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. And uh, there we are. Uh, Kentucky said, I saved a few old lead shower pans from a remodel oh. job. Two of them were over 60 pounds. I see. This is the community hive mind. I love it. So, And that's so, just yeah, it. So let's talk about or smokes and, and also dope. Um, I think, yeah. But anyway, go ahead and we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. So <laughs> that is definitely a form of currency. And I, I don't like the idea of keeping smokes on hand. Um, but what I do keep on hand are smoking cessation things. Um, I don't smoke. My wife doesn't smoke. But my neighbor smokes. And... Uh, so I've got three or four packages of Nicorette chewing gum, basically, to basically a 30 to 60 day supply enough to get her to where she can get off of it. So, or at least you, right. Because you got, you got someone who is on it or, or whatever, they will do anything for a smoke. And I get that, but sometimes you don't want them to do anything for a smoke. Because then you wind up finding out that, you know, your your stuff's gone missing or someone, some you know, she knows where to get them, but someone else wants something you have kind of thing. It's like living next door to a crackhead almost. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I, when I, when I drove south down through Tennessee, I came through Kentucky. First time I'd ever seen tobacco fields. Mm-hmm. And it made me think. In a place like Kentucky, tobacco will be probably still readily available because you're going to have fields and that kind of stuff. But if you live in the great white North, I have known people who have grown tobacco, but it's pretty rare. Uh, And I think it's, I don't know. It depends on the laws and the weirdness, but was it wacky tobacco or well, so there's the next thing because um, you know, tobacco, I think if you live down South, you may have access to it up here, maybe not, or at least very, very little, but what every town has is somebody who knows how or has grown marijuana. So, and that's going to be everywhere. And that is a uh, pain suppressant. And for some people, it could be a substitution. So I don't know. Respiratory or, you know, even vices or just someone who needs to get by. I mean, geez, our guys in Vietnam. I mean, can you imagine just not having it? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it didn't help things, but on the other hand, it's like, what else are you going to, I mean, how are you going to get through the day, you know, when you're surrounded by chaos like that? Uh, uh, Nina said, how about lice treatment supplies? I picked up some just because it was on clearance. You okay to talk about this one for 30 seconds while I pop next door? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, oh, there you go. uh, Okay, there we go. Yeah. Lice treatment supplies. I, um... That might be something worth hanging on to. Um, you, I mean, it kind of depends on the condition. Lice is obviously not good. And if you're going to be in a real bad survival situation or something like that, that's probably not the highest concern that you're going to have. And But if you are, if you are looking like in your situation, you're in a community and you are bedding down with other people, or you're sharing headgear of some kind, then that could be a, a major problem. So it kind of depends on your situation. Um, usually, like I don't, it is more of a behavioral thing. I think um, once you have head lice, 
you that's the only there's only what you can do but i think you'd be better off to try and and uh find a different way like know how to eradicate lice without the lice treatment supplies so find out what the active ingredients are and see what it takes to come up with something similar or see if there's actually a home remedy for lice because the while the supplies might be good while you have them um you're going to be struggling to find someone who would actually need that in the moment like for something to be bartered i guess it's not bad i mean if it kind of depends on your situation but i, I do think it's probably a, a harder one to pedal off if you're like hey i need a knife uh and i have this lice treatment supply it's it's going to be tough to make that exchange unless someone is just in dire need and they know that you have it and it we we had oh my god we had lice go through our house twice in about two months when the kids were young so i mean the, the few things we were able to do because we, we were we spent a lot of money on lice treatment and it worked for a bit but yes shave your head so our poor girls ended up getting buzz cuts um now if you still have power Anything that has been affected with lice, if you put it in a freezer for a couple of days, it will kill it. And you can also smother uh, lice. So <laughs> things like mayonnaise or peanut butter or something gross that you can fit through your hair, it can work as well. Yeah. So not all that bad. I would look into the active ingredients, though, because sometimes, and, and I like to do that a lot on packaging to find out what is valuable, um, like what something might have. Oh. Uh, and, and I've recently started putting uh, men's one a day. Oh, um, like uh, vitamins. Yeah, um, but they're gummies. <clears throat> the reason is because I looked into them, the difference between those particular ones and some of the other ones, even women's one a day, uh, they, they don't compare. But the men's one a day has uh, iodine, which is... Um, in the form of potassium iodide, which is basically the same thing that you would use if you were in a nuclear fallout. Yeah. So I've, <clears throat> I eat them just normally because, you know, they're, they're generally good for me and I can change out a supply. Uh, but those, those gummies are awesome. And they, the thing is, is that potassium iodide is something that can be useful to block the radioactive, um, isotopes from taking over your, your thyroid right is that what yeah. it is yeah so i just brought this up on organiclesson.com says yes food grade diatomaceous earth will kill lice people have turned to organic means of killing lice as insects quickly develop resistance yeah. because chicken hawk asked about uh, de diatomaceous earth and that's something we never talked about but a 50 pound bag of uh, diatomaceous earth it, it has so many uses yeah, I mean, in simple, I think when when you look at it, it's it's the raw stuff, it's the raw ingredients, it's the baking soda, it's the flour, it's the sugar, it's the salt, it's you know diatomaceous earth, um, you know, oil. Yes, cooking oil is a huge commodity, and it, if you can't render oil from from whatever you have, if you can't press it, I mean, if you have an oil press, uh, oh right, some value in that because you can press oil out of damn near everything, but you know, I, cause I could press it out of pine needles if I, if I needed to and make whatever I wanted out of it or just sell the oils. And, and 
if you have access to something like that, it could be useful. Jaggy says he has about 30 P38 can openers to use as barter. And if people out there don't know the P38s, they're the little folding military style. They're incredible. And that, yeah, we, we've got some. We have what we call our prepper pantry. I turned an old cistern into a food pantry. And we uh, we have some of those on the shelf, just in case we ever need to go in there as, um, like, you know, as a shelter. So yeah. just, you know, just in case, because they're great. And if you're ever without one, <clears throat> and you're lucky enough to get your hands on a can of food, you can actually uh, take a can of food and put it on a cinder block or a concrete, like, sidewalk or something. Yes. And you, just, you rotate it around like this. And it will wear that top off to where you can actually open it. That's that's how the bums used to do that in Spokane. I mean, sure, they probably still do. but um, <laughs> I, yeah. I learned that from the crazy Russian hacker. I saw his <laughs> video one day. I was like, I didn't know this worked. You know, yeah. the the bums in Edmonton, they just drink uh, rubbing alcohol. But that's another story for another day. But uh, <laughs> Kentucky said he keeps, and he would, Kentucky, I've got tobacco seeds in my stock. Uh, not I, a bad idea. That's a good idea. I'd like to get some zone six tobacco seeds. You show me how to do that and I, I'll find a way to, I'll, I'll find a way to send you something there, Kentucky. I, yes. And if he can't, I also know um, after the show, someone else who's been a guest on here has access to seeds in a um, very similar uh, Indiana. So, um, which would be, you know, they get pretty cold, but anyway, that's yeah. Yeah. Um, so marijuana. Chris, I do. Oh, yes. oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Marijuana. Go ahead. Um, I think, you know, this is, marijuana is a big thing. And I, I want to go back to that because uh, knowing how to grow is definitely a skill set. Knowing how to trim. Yeah, lose. and that's, yeah, go ahead. You're good. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, that, and <clears throat> there's something very specific that you can do with that plant and any plant for that matter, but the growers will actually... Once you get one, like what one of the ways that they do it is they'll put netting across the top. Right. Okay? And as they get a bud that starts to go up, they'll break it. Okay. Oh. What happens is that plant will send up three or four more and then they'll break those. And then eventually what will happen is out of one stock, you'll have like 15 or 20. And those ones, like the tallest ones, they'll just break them. So they'll go back and forth and they'll just break whichever ones are getting taller and all the other ones grow stronger. That same principle works with any kind of tree or bush or shrub. And if you maintain them in a specific way, they will actually overproduce. So, and there they've, there's all kinds of studies out there, not very common, but right. you'd be surprised at how much you can actually do, um, by listening and getting someone who knows how to grow marijuana Skills. on your yeah. team because they can take that skill and transfer it into the garden. Because I got to tell you, I've known some potheads in my day and they spend more time figuring out the best way to grow indoors, outdoors in inclement weather than anyone else I've ever met. I, I mean, if you guys, I don't know the, the Canadian TV show, trailer park boys, do you know that? Oh, show? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love they show. are dumb as friggin' posts, but those guys, I got, I got to do a show on uh, survive, uh, prepping tips from those boys because oh yeah, they get by <laughs> on anything. <laughs> yeah, but they could, they could, they would actually, I mean, they knew how to grow the best marijuana out there, oh, yeah. but 
you know, they couldn't. Yeah, but it didn't matter that he hadn't got his grade 10 education yet. He knew how to grow marijuana. That's just it. It's We're facing the time when it doesn't matter what letters are behind your name. I'm sorry to say it. No, you're hundred percent right. It it doesn't matter anymore, um, and it's it's becoming less and less relevant. So it's very important that that you either advertise your skills to select people, or that that you know people who can handle certain things. Like I out I outwardly uh, I like just last week I took two batches of fresh made ciabatta bread to my friends at work Ooh. because I'm throwing feelers out. Does anybody want sourdough starter? You know, are you interested in doing this? Do you want to try this? But also make damn good ciabatta bread. And there's value to that. So I went to my farmer's market the other day. Do you need a break? You good or? Yeah, let's roll. Okay. So I um I went to the farmer's market the other day and there was a lady there selling freeze dried candy. And of course, my mind. So I went up to her and I was like, hey, what have you put up so far? Like what kind of food or whatever? She's like, oh, no, I just bought it to freeze dry candy and uh, sell it. And she's paid for two freeze dryers that way. But I had to remind myself, Tim, not everybody's a prepper. And some people just buy freeze dryers to sell candy with them. Yep. And, you know, there you can actually we we stumbled across this one at prepper camp. There was uh, someone who was selling a freeze dryer for like 400 bucks on the way home that this guy was going to try and get after my presentation because wow, a lot of times people buy these machines, they think they're fancy, they get into it and realize that there's actually work involved or they made their freeze dried ice cream and they, they don't like it because they probably use garbage and then they get rid of it. So it's kind of like you really, uh, you really have opportunities to get these machines for less than what retail is. Just look on Craigslist, look on Facebook, you know, that kind of stuff so that you can actually check into that. Uh, and, you know, there's there's options there, you know. So I'll that, make the connection. Uh, Kentucky said uh, hit him up and you guys can talk. So I'll, I'll awesome. give you the contact. I got contact information behind there. So um, Chris Dixon said put a can opener in every container, tub or pail. And they're cheap enough. You can buy them. Even just cheap ass ones on Amazon are, are, are cheap, you know. <laughs> I've actually toyed around with the idea of uh, basically, so if you open an MRE, there's a little sealed package inside there that's got like Tabasco, salt, pepper, book matches. Yes. Um, and I think they have like one or two other little dinky things. And I've toyed around with the, the a similar idea where it's like if you throw, you know, a five-gallon bucket together and you want that bucket to be, you know, a 30-day immediate supply that you can grab and go if you have to run from a tornado or a hurricane or something like that, put the stuff in there that you need. Like, yeah, uh, you know, and just throw it on the top. Just make sure you got toilet, you know, moist wipes or something, uh, silverware, some sort of utensil, um, little things like that and try and condense it into a flat package that you can vacuum seal along with the rest of it. That way, you know, if you have a bucket and it's ready to go, then you don't have to worry about rounding up all that other crap. Um, or if, if one, one thing you could do is like, I'm start thinking of starting to do this now is just when I go up to visit my parents, just take a bucket with me. That's already ready to go and oh. throw, it, throw it in a closet. Don't tell them what it is and just leave it there. So <laughs> I guess, they get stuck and it's like just there's a bucket in the garage just open it up you're gonna be good to go that's like right. uh cl clandestine prepping you know for someone right. else yeah 
Um, I when we go, I love wings. I'm a wing guy. I used to like ribs too, but wings and they're messy, right? So wing joints always have the best moist towelettes, you know, the Mm -hmm. little, um, and up here we have a restaurant called Montana's and theirs are like almost the size of a napkin and they come in a plastic wrap. So I will always ask for extra and then I will throw them and my wife will put them in her purse. Or if we're out to the hotel, we put them in our grab and go bag. And then, I mean, she's got a whole stack of them in her purse, but they're, man, they're awesome. Yeah. And it's especially if you're if you have to clean something. This is that's actually one thing that I had on my list was any kind of sanitary supplies. Oh, yes, not, not the supplies, but the means to make sanitizer, the means to make something clean. Like uh, there are ways that you can make dish soap and things like that. But if you have the powdered bleach, the, would work. Yeah, if you have, I I like um, one thing I really like is um, it's a chemical that I use for brewing. It's called One Step. Yes. It's a powdered detergent, um, but it's food grade and you can take just a small amount of it and make several gallons of food grade sanitizer and, you know, it, it'll last until you're done with it, till that, till that container's empty, but it weighs almost nothing and it's a powder. So you don't have to worry about it spilling and leaking all over the place. Uh, BF said, uh, look for bucket barrel guy in your area. Have one local that sells food grade five gallon for a buck. You wash them and a dollar for lid. That's That's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get uh, Homer buckets or Marge buckets from Lowe's for, uh, for a dollar, you know? So those food grade buckets are different. If they are round top, uh, you know, if you add the um, gamma seal lids to them, I really like those. Um, square tops are kind of t- tricky, especially in some of them. Cause what I'll do <clears throat> is I'll cycle through my chicken feed in those. Oh, okay. Um, and I put them in totes cause we, I got, I don't have cats, don't like cats, but the trade off is that I get mice and I have to deal with mice. So I just kind of make sure that it's not, um, it's, it's in a package or a container that they're not going to be able to get into. And that's what I'll do is I'll get those food grade buckets and then, open up a bag, put it in those food grade buckets and tamp the lid down. I don't really use that for my own personal food storage, but dog food, pet food, um, yeah. chicken food, all that kind of stuff, because you can still rinse them out and use them as a three-step wash or something like that. If you had to. I am. Um, yeah. And another thing, if you're getting round buckets and you're going to seal them down, don't forget to have a, a bucket opening tool around because in a pinch, a hacksaw will work, but you don't want to wreck the material inside either. But make sure you got a way to open them. Uh, yeah. Dixon says, Sandy Clean is what I use, and it doesn't stain if it spills. It's a slight blue, so you know not to drink it. For nice. is, is that a liquid or a gel? or is it? I think I think it's a powder, but I might be wrong. Oh, Maybe it isn't. That'd be cool. Um, and because Chris Dixon's up here, um, what about moonshine or oh, yeah. make alcohol? Because that's a you know, disinfectant, but also something that a lot of people are going to want. Yeah. Well, if you know how to distill water, you know how to distill anything else. So that's a good point. Um, there's actually, and you can do it. You can do it very easily. If you just take a copper tube and you run your alcohol in it and you heat it up, what'll happen is, I think, and they do this, like I've seen the, the, it's, it's a dirt simple design, but basically if you took like a four inch copper pipe, say you went and robbed a pipe out of an old building or something like that, mm-hmm. six feet tall, what happens is alcohol will boil off at different elevations on the pipe. So 
if you want certain types of alcohol, you just go up to the height that you're planning for. Like if you want the really potent stuff like ethanol or, or methanol, you yes. go all the way to the top and drain that off. You can use it for parts cleaning or um, other stuff. You don't want to die because you're that's that's how people die drinking that stuff going blind so you go down a couple of steps more and what it'll do is it'll take all the methanol off and you basically it'll it'll go up to that point and then you have a place for it to to drop down basically and funnel out and it will re precipitate down mm -hmm. into a container and then you just do other ones off lower and you just have all you need is a heat source so you could do it with a damn sterno stove if you had right old wine or maybe you made some hard cider like the easiest way to get booze is with apple juice oh so, yeah i mean that's what that's what we did uh you know back in the 1700s they just have a big barrel out front of the whatever the bar and then you just take your mug and dunk it and walk into the bar and make sure you had one on the way home too but <laughs> It's it's so simple. I mean, you just put the apples in water, add a little bit of sugar and yeast, and you're done. And you can make as as high alcohol content as you want, really. Uh, and it really, yeah, Applejack too. So you don't even have to heat it. You know, right. Applejack's pretty awesome because you just freeze it and then take the ice off the top. And then, you know, especially up north, you can still have that. That high alcohol content can go even higher if you want to try and boil it off or if you want to use it because what do you use ethanol and methanol for fuel fuel yeah so i mean your ability to be able to manage alcohol in such a way where you can get some of that stuff off you're gonna it's not gonna you're gonna get very much but if you are able to get some little bits at a time you can hand that off to folks or you can you know build a small stockpile or something like that on the East Coast, it was very common for guys to take a gallon of apple cider and set it up in their floorboards in their basement near their heat vents, you know, and just let it ferment. I mean, apples, like you said, they're the wild yeast that's on apples. You try try to keep it from fermenting if if, if it's at room temperature. You can't. No. It's it's almost impossible, and it it works and it's good. I always oh. enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of my favorites, and I I actually have a a still. But it's an electric still, so it's cool. it's to for making fuel, still water. Oh right. Uh, but it, yeah, I mean, basically everything that comes out of it is high octane. I mean, it's the same grade every time, consistent, no problem, and clear. I mean, so for me, it's a more it's it's safety, and I can kind of build on it and build a little stockpile. Sometimes that's a little bit much, so you have. Did I lose you? Uh, you're still there. I can hear your audio, but yep. I was just going to say, so, uh, you know, it, even if you have a mason jar, because I just keep it in mason jars. But yes. if I have a mason jar, then I can, you know, cut that with some other kind of juice or something like that. One thing, too, that you can do um, <clears throat> is put it with other fruit. So like uh, raisins, if you take golden raisins and you put gin in it, uh, that's actually a an excellent way to help with like I'm gonna show you something. This stuff. Yeah, I got some moonshine here. This oh, hey. is uh, what uh, Chris calls dishwasher fuel. And this yep. is uh, made with Alberta corn, Tabor corn. Oh. And uh, I believe it's real peaches. It's peach flavored. 
and it is potent. Um, yes. So our local fuel maker uh, in here this evening that only distills water, wink, wink, is very good at that. And uh, to the point where, yeah. And one of our neighbors at Prepper Camp, one of the people that was nearby, give me a couple of swigs of homemade apple pie moonshine. Did you try that? I didn't try that. Oh, I tried my Dave's, but that apple pie moonshine, man, that's something else. I and, think I might have tried that last year. Oh, so good. And then when I was at Self-Reliance Festival, there was a guy there that had... So I, I bought three bottles of Everclear at the beginning of COVID because no one could get sanitizer. So I managed to look all over the place, found outside the box. I made sanitizer for people. Never ended up using the Everclear. Now, it lasts forever, but never thought about it. You can use it to make liqueurs. You know, basically oh, yeah. cut it three three times. So you could triple the volume of that as it's what is it 95 percent alcohol i think oh, yeah. so if you cut that even even into a quarter down to like 25 percent alcohol you could quadruple that into a liqueur something you could drink oh yeah and i, I yeah i don't know i and alcohol it's you know it's one of the oldest vices well, well and oh go ahead i was just gonna say you know the the other uses aside from drinking it uh i mean as something that can be used as a combustible, um, you know, or even for recent parts, disinfecting. I mean, there's a lot to be said about the power of alcohol in a grid down scenario. Um, what about coffee? Definitely coffee. <laughs> He's like, yep, enough said. Yeah, there's really no other. And the thing is, is it's, it's going to be tough for, for a lot of folks. And I mean, People, you look at some of the receipts from people that were traveling the Oregon Trail, they would have coffee along with everything else. I mean, that was, it was like crazy. you took your chickens with you, you took your oxen with you, you had flour, you had all this kind of stuff, and they would take sugar and coffee. And you'd be surprised. I mean, and I didn't realize it, how far back and how, um, how extensive coffee was and still is. And, you know, uh, James over at the I Am Liberty show, uh, James Walton, he sells those green five-pound bags or whatever, and I mean, that's bunker beans, yes. I brought that's, two back with me. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's the way to go. One thing I would like to try is freeze-drying coffee. I haven't done yes. that yet, but I'd like to make a cold, basically a cold brew where I just put it in, press it, and then put it in the freeze-dryer so that I'm not spending any energy to make the coffee. I'm just letting it tea basically and then put it in when i became a coffee snob i mean started drinking you know uh fresh roasted kind of nice coffee or whatever i had six of those two or three pound uh containers of maxwell house that i used to drink so i dumped it all into a five gallon mylar bag sealed that up and then put it in a five gallon bucket because i promise you if there's no coffee i'll drink it i don't care if it's 20 years old <laughs> yep and, you know, there are other forms of coffee. I like uh, Joggy Thistle drop this in chat. Acorn oh, yes. coffee, mushroom coffee, uh, pine needle tea is another one. Similar effects. Things like that where it's really, uh, you get the, the stimulant out of it. Um, and, you know, some of the, some of that, especially the early morning part, the habitual portion of it. It's the same as um, a smoker chewing on a pen, you know. Yeah. I, the from what I read, the Europeans introduced dandelions to North America as a coffee substitute. You, you take the root out, dry it, and grind it up. Yeah, I, I, haven't, tried it. I haven't tried it either. And every time I 
I wind up chasing down dandelions. I put them in a bucket and I never wind up doing anything with them. But I mean, they're here. So it's like, well, uh, when the time comes, I'll go ahead and because dandelion wine is another one. That's a that's a whole show topic on oh. uh, dandelions, man. We should, uh, <laughs> we could do that. There's some, we could do, uh, so you've done some alcohol, have you? Like different types of homemade alcohol and things like that? Yeah, yeah I've yeah. done plum. I have not done dandelion. That's one thing that I want to try. And then I've been told that it's delicious and very high content, very potent. Um, but I've done plum, uh, what's, I don't know, a handful of different ones. I did blackberry rhubarb was another I did raspberry one time peach. I always used to have access to a whole bunch of what I call second peaches. So the ones that would fall off the trees, a buddy of mine had a peach tree and I would make peach wine every year. I love, I've actually got a gallon in an old pickle jar up on my shelf that needs to be bottled uh, peach wine. So I, I love it. And I've got um, Jack Spearco from the survival podcast. He, he has, I forget what he calls it, but it's like his dead simple, apple cider recipe and it's just basically the cheapest app something you'd make in jail but the cheapest apple juice you could buy anywhere and add some yeast and some sugar and i've got still got three one liter flip top bottles of it up there it's great yeah and you know sometimes that's that's nice to be able to take the edge off too and you know just there's some camaraderie that can happen around a fireplace at night uh you know, apple wine. I have made apple wine before. That's pretty good. Um, <clears throat> and dandelion and burdock. Uh, I don't know if that's wine or. Oh, <laughs> gonna shout out my cousin Rodney Marshall from New Brunswick. He he popped on tonight too. So good Welcome. to see you, buddy. Haven't talked to him in a few years. He um he got into CB a few years ago as kind of a um just a worst case scenario to be able to uh, oh, yeah. connect or chat. You know, so that's really cool. Yeah. LG says uh, homemade peach wine. It was amazing. An older Korean lady made it and was so good. Yeah, in fact, um, <clears throat> kimchi is yes. something kind of interesting to you. Will they actually? Uh, so there's a lot of foreign exchange students that come over to this region to go to the universities in this area, and I was told of a story where basically the lawnmowers. Um, they, they, the landscapers couldn't figure out why they had these spots in the ground. It was like they would they would do everything. They would water it. Everything would be fine. They'd fertilize it. They'd do their cuttings. And then they would get these spots where the grass was tan, you know, dead. Okay. I couldn't figure it out. Well, then a little bit later, they found out that what was happening is these college students were making kimchi. And they were putting it in mason jars, and they would dig a little hole, save the grass, put the kimchi underground, and then put the grass back on top, and it would ferment underground. Really? Yeah. Never heard of such a thing. Yeah. And I was like, "What?" That's. <laughs> but I mean, it it works, and they made some killer kimchi, I guess. So, uh, BF said chicory. I've I've read. I I don't know chicory myself, but it's always in the post apocalyptic books. You know, I think it's a, a New Orleans special where they make uh, chicory coffee or like half-half coffee and chicory, but it's supposed to be good. I had one more, um, and delivering mail. So if you're a traveler, for instance, in a post-apocalyptic wasteland or whatever, <laughs> and that, that tends to be a bit of um, a trope in some of the movies. So, yeah. you know, whether it was Kevin Costner in The Postman, for instance, um, 
in Jeremiah, what they had was a bulletin board. And so if you were traveling through, so it was like a local coffee shop and they had a big cork board. And if you were traveling through and you had information from a town or from a person, you would go in and you would trade that information for a hot cup of coffee or whatever. And then you would put it up on the board. I got thinking, if you were traveling around, it would be pretty neat because communication would probably be non-existent or maybe very minimal. I think it would be kind of neat <laughs> for a ride. I think it would be kind of neat to uh, to maybe offer an information trading service or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, the uh, bum, as Sarah Hathaway brought this up in her presentation. I thought it was pretty valuable. But the whole, the bum language, the... Uh, the oh, Yeah. Uh, not cryptographs, but what do we call them? Yeah, they're, they're like pictograms, basically. And it's basically it's a symbol, it's a knowledge that they spread from each other, uh, indicating you know that there's sympathizers this way, or you know there's trouble that way. Don't go that way. Um, communication opens up. I mean, there it's like what is it? Necessity is the root of all invention. And I think when it comes down to mail and, and physically getting something from point A to point B, yeah, I mean, having having a communication board or some way to say, hey, look, there's a mail, there's a way to get a message from this point to this point. You know, what are you going to pay to do it? You know, what are you, what's it, what's it worth to you? Um, hobo, yes, the hobo language. It, I think it was a big thing in, um, during the Great Depression too, I believe. And yeah. uh, Jaggy says, my snail mail with you, Tim, will take a bit longer to get on after the apocalypse, <laughs> especially across the ocean, my friend. It might take a, a little longer, you know? Yeah. You know, homing pigeons yeah. is kind of a, another one. I, people don't really do that much anymore, but, you know, pigeons as a food source is one thing, but yes. if you train them for homing, that's, uh, I mean, shit, we were able to drop bombs with those bastards. and That's right. I mean, they can they can be trained to to do very specific things, and you know, they homing pigeons have been around for centuries. I mean, millennia. They were using them in China to deliver a message across battlefields. Um, it's not new, but nobody does it anymore. And it's, no. if you knew, if you were a pigeon fiend, and you, because I, I know that there's some people that are just like, yes, this is my bird, my bird of choice, and watch what I can do. You know, there you're out there, and you, you might be listening to this podcast thinking, wow, that's actually a skill that I could use. Yeah. I can keep pigeons alive. I can trap pigeons. I can make them do this. Yeah. Jack did an episode on, uh, or he had people on who used to trap or not even trap, but they would, they would bring in and catch pigeons and then they would just keep coming back and they were a source of meat, for instance. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm into it, but if you had to hell, why not? Right. Yeah. Just a pigeon box. That's, I mean, it's super simple. It's kind of, I mean, it depends on what they're eating. Like just like any other yeah. kind of thing. I don't know about a city pigeon, but I wouldn't mind taking out a couple of turtle doves that are hung around my place. So that's yeah. One one other thing I was going to say, or so we talked about post apocalyptic currency. Have you ever seen the Zombox or the Zombie Box? They were uh, I've been trying to get my hands on them, but there's a huge premium on the market. They come out about eight or ten years ago, and they were very similar to the state quarters that came out. But these are one ounce silver coins really, and they have things like you ever see that movie or hear of it pride and prejudice and zombies you know where they they took the book and then they added zombies ah nate has a copper round so there was eight or ten of them they were one ounce 
uh, coins and they had zombie pictures on the back. So it would have been like, you know, the, the not the Statue of Liberty, but things, recognizable oh. symbols that they turned into zombies. So they call it the currency of the apocalypse. So that's killer. What's it called again? Uh, Zombux, uh, Z-O-M-B-U-X Z or something like that. Huh. Uh, Kentucky says, I have got some of the zombie rounds. So if anybody That's out there is interested in trading uh, for a couple, I would love to get my hands on some. I even have some workshop silver that I held back. Some of the Toolman Tim uh, silver rounds I just had done, I'd be willing to trade for. So that would be, I'd love to try that. Well, and you know, I, it's kind of mentioned you said that trading you know, a lot of times we've been talking about an exchange. Like I want something you have and I have something of value. So let's exchange those two things as in two different things. Like, yes. like, like I want food, you have ammo, let's make it work or whatever. Um, the, the thing is, is I grew up with baseball cards. I grew oh, up yeah. game cards and all kinds of other stuff. And we would open packs find out which ones were expensive, trade them in at half of their value for another pack. And we would keep doing that. And then we would go home with a couple of packs of baseball cards or hockey or football or whatever. And then we trade with each other. It's natural. It's like one of the, one of the key things about humans is that we're able to do this and it doesn't always have to be for another thing. Like it doesn't have to be like for a, a battery or for a charge you know if you're trading those things for a collection that's there's still value in that and building a collection of something has value i actually knew someone who took a collection of old magic cards yes and sold them and paid cash for a house i mean it's i'm sure they invested maybe close to that amount who knows but the fact is that something that is a piece of paper can have a tangible value to bring you something down the road. So a collection is actually something that could be useful um, in a barter scenario. Or if you're like, hey, I, I don't really have a whole lot, but I've got this whole collection of buck knives. If you can give me passage to the West Coast from Pennsylvania, no questions asked, they're yours. Right? It's human nature. I, I mean, I'm an anarcho-capitalist and really what that means is, is that, you know, the smallest market is between you and I, and I think that's the freest market. And I think you summed it up better than anybody could have, Ryan. <laughs> We've been two hours. You want to wrap her up? Yeah. I brought I got to get these dogs fed and find out. That's okay. How, um, yeah. How do people find you? Tell Cause we'll have you back, you know, okay. and uh, where do they find you and how do they keep up with you? Uh, well, let's see. I think probably the best way is to check it out. Check us out over at uh, Prepper Broadcasting Network. We've been doing that podcast for about four or five years now. Uh, it's called The Next Generation Show. Um, you can also reach me directly if you guys have questions or just want to talk or you want to find out more about freeze drying or whatever, please do reach out. Um, my email is prepperdad at mail.com, just regular mail.com, not Gmail. And uh, what else? Uh, social media contact information is usually up on the um on the show page yes. but if you guys have any specific questions feel free to reach out i i'm a real person i do respond to my emails and i like to hear from folks all around the world so it's pretty cool what we're doing here in this community and um i'm accessible at least oh, for now yeah until <laughs> he hits the big time no yeah but it, well, yeah. Until, until the big time hits us i guess <laughs> that's right yeah but it's cool yeah you guys need to check out uh, the next generation podcast because 
it's I, I've said it a few times, but when I first heard, I'm like father and son podcast. Oh, that's not going to be my jam. And then I listened to it. I'm like, oh, it's really, really good. Well, I'm glad you like it. Hopefully there are some folks out there that are getting some value out of it too. So no, it's perfect. We'll we'll have you back again. I mean, you you've got the record, so we need to uh we need to keep it going, right? All right. Hold this wrong. <laughs> perfect. Thanks, Ryan. You can hang in the back for a sec if you want as I close up, or if you need to drop off, you can do that too. No okay, worries either way. Thanks everybody for for participating. It's awesome having you here. Thanks to Ryan for coming. This was awesome. I him and I, I think I'm going to have to split this into a two-part uh, episode on the podcast feed because we we went way, well, not way over, but we went over two hours. So I always hate to do that to people. But guys, this was awesome. I don't even know. It'll be fun to see the analytics on this show because we probably broke a record for community engagement. So thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, always, always appreciate it. We'll have Ryan back in a couple of months because what will happen is I'll come up with an idea and I'll be like, hey, Ryan, you want to do this one? And his answer is always yes. So it'll be great. But anyway, guys, uh, I appreciate you sticking around for the full two hours. What an awesome crowd you were tonight. And I, I know I say it all the time, but the workshop community is great. So thank you. As always, guys, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.